Welcome to the Natural Health Podcast, where we bring awareness of sustainable health in a business hustle space. Natural Health Podcast is perfect for the high-performing business-minded individuals who want to work with their biochemistry to achieve success and optimal health. It's Friday, which means it's time for Friends Strength Facts about health, business, and overall success. In today's episode, we talk to Desiree Taylor. After suffering from severe chronic fatigue syndrome and adrenal burnout in 2011, at the age of 26, Desiree embarked on a personal journey to help heal herself through natural medicine. Using her body as her own personal lab, she performed experiments based on different dietary theories, medicinal herbs, and alternative therapies. She discovered the power of food as medicine and slowly started to heal herself body, mind, and spirit. Desiree's journey led her to study at the Institute of Integrated Nutrition, which is the world's largest nutritional school. She has learned over 100 theories, practical lifestyle techniques, and innovating coaching methods with some of the world's top health and wellness experts. Her education has equipped her with extensive knowledge in holistic nutrition, health coaching, and preventative health. Drawing on these skills and her knowledge of different dietary theories, Desiree works with clients to help them help their lifestyles changes that produce real and lasting results. Some interesting facts about our guest today is that her first love is just hanging out with her four-year-old son, Phoenix, and being completely present, enjoying his company. She's also a closet space geek. She loves physics and learning about all things astronomy, quantum physics, and where spirituality meets science. She says herself that she used to be a terrible cook. I mean, totally burned meat pines in the oven back in the day. There you go. Some interesting facts. Welcome to the Natural Health Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very, very honoured to be here. I absolutely love being a space geek and the whole concept <laughs> of spirituality meeting science. That's just mind-blowing. Yeah, that is my jam. Um, and whenever I feel like I need to be inspired or motivated or connect back to, I guess, why I'm here and my purpose, if the current reality is taking me too far out, I love listening and just listening to podcasts and um, listening to documentaries and just immersing myself and learning and reading about the two. Um, and I found it to actually along my journey be quite therapeutic and healing as well because coming from a science background and then looking at how spirituality can help heal and, you know, heal traumas and emotions and the part it plays in health, um, I found, you know, emerging the two just, yeah, I, I really love it. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds absolutely amazing. And I love, at the end of the day, I guess we are all energy. We're neither destroyed or created. So when we think about absolutely. that, it's like, I am never destroyed and I was never created. It's like, hmm, this podcast could go for a few hours if we're just going to yeah, talk about that. Just on that. <laughs> Absolutely, 100%. I love that. Absolutely love it. So what have you been cooking during all this lockdown stuff? I guess there hasn't been meat pies because they're burnt. No. Do you know, it's so funny on that. My, I always recall it because I never had an interest in cooking and my background's Indian and I'm, you know, Anglo-Indian. And so my mom is like a, an amazing cook and my brother was always in the kitchen. And my brother is actually this amazing head chef at, you know, he's worked at some of the best fine dining restaurants in Sydney. 
Um, and he always used to laugh because I just wanted to cook something really quick and gave like no thought into it. So I would be burning things and exploding things and like something like as simple as meat pies. Like I remember once he was like, oh my God, Desiree, you just exploded the meat pies in the oven because I put the temperature too high without watching it. And it just went, you had meat all over the oven. (laughs) But now I am a refined cook. But secret, I still hate cooking and I actually do um, talks at the Mind Body Spirit Festival um, across Australia on a topic at Soul Kitchen stage called the I Hate Cooking Workshop because my method of cooking is how to maximise nutrients that are healing and medicinal for the body but with the most minimal amount of time and uh, the least amount of fuss in terms of washing up and stuff. So those are my cooking methods at the moment. Another podcast that we can talk about, another one, because <laughs> that is so me. If I make something uh, like my partner or people around me be like, what is, what is that? And I'm like, well, it's this is good for this and this is good for this. And they're like, you don't put the two together. And I'm like, but the benefits inside our body are amazing if you put the two together. <laughs> like, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's it. And my brother also, when he watches the cook, he's like, why don't you do this? I'm like, that takes too much time. Just dump all the ingredients in and go. <laughs> one pot. <laughs> I love one it. Pot, I love it. Yes, I love it. <laughs> so let's get into your little journey. Let's start off with some key turning points um, to yeah, get sure. just some key turning points in your journey that got you to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, should I start with a little bit about my story or background and dive into the key turning points there? Because I think that would better explain how I got to some of those key turning points. So I remember, you know, I think it was, oh my gosh, maybe over about, it would be coming up to 10 years now, over 10 years ago, I thought I was a normal, healthy person. I had a wonderful, you know, lifestyle where I would race through life at a hundred miles an hour, so focused on doing and achieving all the time. And I was, you know, I had, I thought I had this perfect life CV where I was playing hockey for the New South Wales women's team. Um, so I was training a lot and exercising. So I was so healthy, right? Um, <laughs> I was eating, you know, a standard diet based on my limited knowledge of the food pyramid, uh, loading up on carbs to exercise and, and give me that energy. Um, I was working a great corporate job. So I was working in a large global recruitment firm and managing a small team and uh, earning a lot of money. And then I had this wonderful social life where I would wine and dine and and drink a lot at the same time. And yeah, do you know, I actually thought that I was fine. I was doing what everyone else was doing. I would be fine until I wasn't. (laughs) So in 2011, my world came to an absolute stop. And when I mean a stop, I mean, I literally, I came back from the national tournament in Cairns and I remember I couldn't get out of bed for eight months. I visited about six different hospitals. I had multiple stays. I was connected to heart monitors at one stage with my family surrounding my bedside, me saying my goodbyes because I thought that was the end. And long story short, but there were multiple hospital stays. I did every single test under the sun. Every single specialist saw me. And, you know, one doctor said to me, eventually after months and months of searching, Desiree, you've got chronic fatigue syndrome, or that's what we are looking at diagnosing you at. And I thought, you know, shit, I don't have time for chronic fatigue syndrome. I was still in my Blackberry. That's how old I am. I was still in my Blackberry in my hospital bed trying to get work done and be really busy. 
And I remember, you know, what was really humbling and probably the most key turning point for me is I had to quit work. I quit hockey. I dug into all my savings because of all, you know, uh, the expensive hospital bills and and medical bills and uh, colonoscopies and endoscopies and all these different tests that I had to pay out for and not working as well. I humbly had to move back home with my parents. And I remember sitting down and I literally did not even have the energy to wash my own hair. That was like a mammoth task. Even walking to the bathroom, my heart would race. It was like I'd just run a marathon. So I remember sitting down and thinking, who am I? You know, I don't have all these labels, all these hats that I'm wearing now. Like, who am I? What am I? What is the purpose of my life? And I spiraled into this really dark depression. I was like, you know, wanting to end my life at times. It, you know, went up and down and there was a lot of tears and a lot of darkness. And then I, you know, remembered, or for some reason at that point, I had this like intuition Um, that I'd never connected with before. Maybe I had it at some level, but that's why I think this was really a bit of a spiritual awakening for me or the start of it um, and a blessing in disguise because I had this moment where I thought, you know, I can either be a victim and succumb to this illness or disease or whatever it is and just keep struggling for the rest of my life and pleading, you know, poor me. Or let's just open up my perspective and try things that I had never tried or believed in before. And I can start to embark on a journey to help heal myself. And so that was really, I think, the pivotal point for me. And one of of the key turning points, my first key turning point was when I hit absolute rock bottom and I didn't have any labels or any accolades or anything to attach myself to. So everything had been stripped away and I was just forced to be with myself with no stimulation, not running around. I had to be still. I couldn't do anything. I had to be alone with my thoughts. And that's when these transformations, I think, started to happen or these little aha moments and these little intuitive moments of what this meant for me. So that was my first key turning point. Wow. <laughs> wow. What do we pull out of there? And and do you know what? Listening to your story, I know that every story is individual, but that just sounds like the average 20. How old were you when all that happened? Yeah, I was 25, 20, I was sorry, say, 26. I was about yeah. to say 25, average 25 to 28, yeah. 20, 29 year old female, corporate female in Australia. That's their story. What you're saying Absolutely. is to different extremes, to different extremes. Some don't end up in hospital. Some actually end up bed bound for months and months. And some actually who are listening right now still don't know what's going on. So, yes. So your yep. story, a lot of individuals can reflect on, um, myself also, and 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 it's interesting because I can I can reflect with you because I worked in recruitment also. And oh wow! <laughs> we know recruitment is go Burn, go yeah, go. The yeah. more you go, the more bonuses you make, the more income you make, the more you're known, the more your corporate ladder goes up. And I like that you said CV. Like you, I was also working for my CV. Um, you mm. know, the more the more clients I knew, the more connections I had because you know, sleeping, that's not going to get me connections. Like you said, sleeping, that's <laughs> yeah. not going to get things done. Being I in a hospital, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Yeah. <laughs> being in a hospital bed, that's not going to close deals. That's not closing deals. And like, you even tried to close deals in your, in your <laughs> hospital bed, you know, like, 
this is the thing that we put ourselves through. Um, and, and unfortunately, or fortunately, whatever you want to call it for you, ended up in, you know, doctors being like, hmm, this is, this looks sounds and looks like chronic fatigue syndrome, uh, which is, which is really interesting. So I can definitely see what you've gone through. And a lot of individuals can probably relate to that. And you mentioned that you ended up in hospital a number of times. Did you at any stage actually know what was going on? Did you have a feeling of that it was chronic fatigue syndrome? Did you even know what it was? I had no idea. And look, prior to that, I'll set the stage a a little bit in terms of, you know, prior to that, because from young, I always thought I was a sickly kid. So I would get colds and coughs and flus, have allergies. You know, my mum would always be rushing me to the hospital. I was taking all these different courses of antibiotics. Um, And then when I started playing hockey, you know, my asthma, all of that started to improve. But still throughout my life, I always remember even up, well, right up until the age of 26, you know, I would wake up feeling tired. I would have trouble sleeping. I would still have colds and flus all year round. I just thought I was a sickly person. I would have gut problems, you know, hormonal problems. When I used to get my, my period and menstruate, I used to pass out because it was so much pain. Um, I used to have terrible cystic acne. Uh, I used to, you know, so there was joint pains, muscle pains, headaches. So there was all these little symptoms that I used to pass off as normal, right? I used to think it was all normal. And I used to think like I was just like everybody else because I actually used to hear everybody else saying similar things. Mm. And so I used to think all these symptoms were totally normal. So I had no bloody idea. And um, when I was playing hockey, I had a very toxic mindset because being an elite athlete, you strive to be a perfectionist and you are super hard on yourself. You've got this mean voice in a mean girl that just sits on your shoulder, barking orders all the time. And the same thing applied to the corporate world. And I was so focused on that inner dialogue that it just consumed me. But again, I just thought that was normal. You know, I thought the anxiety, I thought all of these things were just normal. So when I came back home and I started to get these massive heart palpitations and this immense fatigue and my body would just shut down and go into like this coma type state, I had no idea what was wrong. I was still in the mindset, give me a pill. Doctor, just fix me. Let me resume my normal life. I'm too busy. I was had no idea what it would mean in terms of my future life or how much work I would have to do just to get back to some state of normality or, you know, what type of can of worms it would open up for me. And, you know, I didn't believe in meditation. I thought it was all hippie BS. I ate, you know, whatever I wanted, sugar, cheese, all these different things, <laughs> drank. Like, so I was a highly functional alcoholic and I speak very openly about that. And even at one stage prior to that, a highly functioning drug addict. I say that because I used to, at one stage for a good solid three years, I used to do drugs every day and still have a high performing job, um, still actually dabble and play sport family didn't know, friends didn't know. Um, And then when I stopped drugs, it moved into alcohol. And because that is something that's so socially acceptable, I just thought, you know, I drink like everyone else. I drink when I come home, you know, I look forward to having drinks at lunch. (laughs) That's what it pretty much consumed me. But I just, I honestly thought that I would be fine. And I had Mm. no regard what was coming and still lying in that hospital bed. I was thinking, okay, what's the quick fix that I need to take here? 
what pill do I need to take to get over this? Mm. Or like, does this just mean I need to, you know, chill out for a couple of weeks and then I'll be fine. And yeah, little did I know what that would mean. Yeah. Can we drill a little bit more into high functioning alcoholic? Because the thing, the reason why I'm asking that is because we have professional women, men who run businesses or are high in their current business or, you know, career is the number one thing. And they all have minimum one standard drink a week. And that's just minimum. Most of them drink after work because it's their way to calm down. It's their way to be able to talk to their partner. It's their way to actually ground themselves. Like some people even say yeah. the word, I have I have something to take the, the actual word is, I have a drink to take the edge off. Yeah, um, and some people will say, I only need one glass of wine to take the edge off, so I'm not an alcoholic. Um, but, we, you know, and, and yeah, I wanted to know your thoughts on, yes, this high-functioning alcohol and alcohol for performance and work and that whole that whole little you know hamster wheel yeah what are your yeah. thoughts on I that? love this question because I love talking about it and I love diving deep um because I think you know all type of addiction starts from unresolved emotional pain and any addiction mechanism is a way of coping with things and it, it's just alcohol is a thing um or substance that we so readily accept in society and as being normal, and we attach so much to it. So we celebrate with alcohol. When we feel sad, we drink. When we feel upset, we drink. When we have a breakup, it's, you know, let's come over and have some wine. To unwind at the end of the day, like you said, you need to have some wine. Even mums I hear just throwing out the words, I need to drink. Oh, my God, my kids are at home during lockdown. Let me have a whole bottle of wine and it's okay. And because it is so socially acceptable, I don't think any of us actually really take the time to analyze or check in with ourselves as to the effect it's having on our life or even stop for a second and think, okay, is this actually good for me? What is it causing? How much am I drinking? We pass it off as normal or as being social or whatever it may be. And for me, you know, being a highly functional alcoholic, I was using alcohol for every coping mechanism to at all. <laughs> so I remember, you know, as soon as I wake up in the morning, I would wake up with like a bit of aches and pains, neck pain, simply because my job was so stressful. And before I could even get into work, I would be in that anxious state, just preparing and knowing what my day would come. So I would be counting down the hours until lunchtime or even thinking what client meetings can I book so I can go have a drink with them just to take the edge off, you know, to take the edge off, to take the pressure off, to relieve that type of stress, um, which is a temporary fix, of course, but it was the only coping mechanism that I knew because I had never been taught from young how to deal with these emotions or what health was or how to manage this. So it was an awesome coping mechanism <laughs> to have. And then when I would come home, like you said, I would feel like I deserved from my hard days of work, a couple of glasses of wine or a nice, you know, maybe half a bottle of scotch or whatever it may be. And even after hockey, so I would go straight from work, train for two hours and afterwards I would still drink because that would help my body unwind, that would soothe any aches or pains, that would help my mind switch off. So my mind would switch off and become present when I drank. 
So getting into that present moment and learning to relax when you have, when you are, I think, an overachiever or very critical or a perfectionist, it's very hard to be present. And I know lots of women resonate with this because so many of the women that I coach, I mean, this is, you know, the number one crux is how do I become present and alcohol helps me be present. And then we use it and I used it for things such as, you know, social anxieties. So when I went out, if I didn't have a drink in my hand, I would be nervous, I would be anxious because inside what was really happening was I didn't feel good enough about myself or I didn't feel worthy or good looking enough or whatever the hell it was or like my personality was enough. So you use it as social lubricant or social anxiety. And very, very quickly that can become integrated as a daily coping mechanism, even an hourly coping mechanism for a lot of different things. And it can be easy to hide because it is so socially acceptable that I think there are a lot of closeted, highly functioning alcoholics out there. Not saying that's a bad thing. Um, It serves, you know, people in different ways. And I'm very much a believer of each to their own, you live your life how you want. But I think society's perception of it and the way that we just pass it off of, you know, oh, you need a drink or yeah, you know, all mums need like, you know, drink wine in the evening. These type of phrases Mm. don't do us any favours. And there's a lot of them and there's a lot of them in the Australian culture. And, Mm -hmm. And I also used to work and live in London and so we thought Australians were bad, but the Aussies (laughs) only did it Fridays after five. The, you know, the British door, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Friday, a lot. And Saturday, Sunday, (laughs) five o'clock, they'll be at the pubs. I'll be going for a walk, walking home from work and every pub will be packed. And it's interesting that you mentioned the um, social anxiety aspect of holding a drink Mm -hmm. and it's just normal. So if you go somewhere and they go, what are you drinking, mate? And you should go get me water. Nah, nah, come on, have a drink. Cause it's, for you to fit in and especially with the corporate world there's a huge alcohol society and alcohol acceptance and if you don't fit that criteria of having a drink Friday night or taking the edge off or even going home and being like hey I had a drink you don't fit that corporate culture whereas what needs to be noted is that alcohol is actually a carcinogenic no matter how much of it you have that you know the Australian guidelines make me laugh I think last time I checked, <laughs> yeah, they made me laugh. I think last time I checked, it was 10 standard drinks a week, but no more than five in uh, one sitting. Something along those lines. Correct me if I'm wrong. Something along those lines. So they're saying actually you can have 10 standard drinks a week, which is if you have drink five days a week, that's two drinks or at least like one. Like that, no, that 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 is the showing guidelines and they're there for our health. no. If you're here for our health, you would be saying it's up to you if you wish to drink, but it is recommended no alcohol is intake. But hey, that's not gonna that's not gonna assist our taxpayers' money and all that stuff. But we're not gonna go into the political side. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But that's a really important point to remember uh, to notice is that yeah, part of our guidelines and you know what is integrated in this you know, subconscious or social subconscious is that it's fine to have two standard drinks a night. And you know, I don't know why I've got all these health problems, but you know, I've got, you know, it must not be my alcohol consumption mm. because I'm mm. I'm told that the guidelines tell me I'm okay. 
Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, because I was such an alcoholic, God, oh, trust me, I have looked into this and whether I can still have a drink every now and then. But it is pure carcinogenic. And the effect that it has on our body, body is, I think, you know, I always, I'm a big speaker now about loving your liver, loving your liver. Number one, because I abuse mine so much, but I know how important it is now for health. And when you are loading it up, even just with a glass of wine or whatever it is each night, mm. your liver still has to prioritize mm. dealing with that excess toxic load rather than doing its normal functions. So to get that proper healing is not going to be possible. Yeah. And the thing is also is uh, uh, anyone that's that's listening now and is having a few drinks, just ask yourself, why am I having these drinks? What is the underlying issue that you're having these? Because there's always a reason why you have them. If that is taking the edge off because it increases our GABA in our brain, there's other ways to increase that. If that is because you don't feel socially acceptable, there's other therapies and things that can be taken to be acceptable. That's all we're saying. That's all we're saying. We're not saying you know, was all, all Desiree and I are saying is look after yourself in a healthy way. But talking about optimal health and achieving optimal health, what does optimal health and success look like for you right now? Mm, great question. So for me, success was very much about that life CV and how I could fit into society and what I could name off in a group, you know, oh, I'm part of the New South Wales women's hockey team. Wow. You know, who cares? <laughs> um, but, you know, I've got this great, you know, corporate job. Wow. You know, so, and it was about that traditional picture that traditional society paints for you about, you know, having the picket fence and the great house and all these different things. For me now, success, I and I actually part of, you know, uh, what I work with in the clients is actually asking them to redefine their definition of success and have a look at their belief systems and what's important, what is really important to them. Because success for me now, firstly, is number one, being present with my family. Because when I had nothing left, <laughs> I realized that none of that stuff meant anything. You know, my job, my titles, all the money I had, nothing could help me when I was lying in that hospital bed, absolutely nothing. And I had wished that I had been more present and more loving and spent more quality time with my family. So for me, you know, my son is everything. And that is I think, you know, my only ask, I guess, for the universe is that I get to watch him grow up because it's a privilege to grow old. It's not a given, you know, it is a privilege. There's a million mm. things can happen. So for me, it's really enjoying and being really present with the time that I have with him. But success for me also, on the other hand, is being able to wake up every day and not just have this absence of having a disease, but having enough mental clarity, enough energy, enough, you know, vitality with stable moods, being happy and carefree so I can enjoy the day. So if it was my last day, I've enjoyed it. I'm healthy. I'm happy. I can really, you know, utilize that day how I want. And that might be doing something that I love, such as helping women or helping someone with their health journey. It might mean like rolling on the grass with my son. I don't know what it is. It might mean geeking out on space stuff <laughs> and quantum physics. But 
that is my definition of success, to have a very much of a balanced life where, you know, for me, my beliefs and priorities and my health is my wealth. Without it, I cannot do anything. I cannot be the best version of myself. It creates this massive ripple effect into all areas of my life. So I redefine success and I actually think that, you know, we're all successful just being our authentic selves and being here. And I don't really think we have anything to prove or achieve to anyone. And just being a compassionate, empathetic, understanding person to someone else is also success because you don't know what type of difference. And this, you know, goes from anyone you pass in the street, just by lending them a listening year, being a bit compassionate and empathetic on their journey, or maybe their different views. That's a successful person. That's someone, if I recognize those qualities in someone else, I think, damn, they know what life is all about. Their success in my eyes. So it's these certain qualities that you have in terms of being a good serving human being and just being an understanding and compassionate human being, you know, managing your health um, because it is very much a working progress. <laughs> so um, yeah, because to me, having all these things and these accolades and achievements, money, Honestly, it would mean nothing unless I was well enough to enjoy it and well mm. enough to enjoy the time that I spend with my family. So yeah. that's I love it how, for me. It I love really how it moved from, you know, having all of these tick, done this association, part of this club, part of that, to rolling on the grass with your son. Like I love <laughs> that and being in the moment. And that's what it's all about, the health and, you know, joy, family, being in the moment, laughter is underestimated how much that actually helps us achieve optimal health mm. and our success. Let's, let's, let's dive deep into today's topic, a journey from chronic fatigue and autoimmune disease to health. Um, so before we get started, I know we spoke a little bit about chronic fatigue syndrome. Are you able to give a little bit more detail? So when the doctors actually said to you, Desiree, you've got chronic fatigue syndrome, what does that actually mean? Yeah, so it's a bit of a complex, I like to call it a bit of an umbrella or blanket or a term that doctors use when they have exhausted all other tests and avenues and ruled out everything else. You know, as I mentioned, I had endoscopies and colonoscopies and I was connected to heart monitors and did stress tests and ECG tests and MRIs and blood, like about 20 blood tests or even more than that. So when they've ruled out all these different problems and for a period of minimum six months, you have this extreme fatigue that lasts for more um, then six months, that's when the term chronic fatigue or that chronic fatigue diagnosis comes in. It can also be known as something called like post-viral syndrome, uh, which is very similar to long COVID at the moment. Um, so, I mean, that's a whole different ballgame <laughs> to go into, but it is this umbrella term when it's, you don't really know or doctors or the conventional medicine system, I say conventional because it's they don't really have a definition or something to define of why you've got this extreme fatigue and joint pain and all these other symptoms. So that is the understanding of it. Yeah. So you said when they've exhausted everything, that's when it – so how – is there a diagnosis? Like do you just run like one blood test and it's the chronic fatigue syndrome blood test and then you go, okay, this is what you have. Do they do only one scan and they say this is what you have? Or from what you're saying, it's just kind of like a – in a process type of get this this test and that test together and then it kind of comes about 
Yeah, so I think it's very different for different people. And with chronic fatigue as well, there's many different levels. So some people are extreme, such as myself, where you literally can't get out of bed for a year. For others, it can be quite mild, but you do have some sort of this underlying fatigue for a period of months, but you can still carry on with your day somewhat. Mm. So it's very different for different people. And I know the Epstein-Barr virus as well is a precursor for it. So um, I know that a lot of people, especially when they're young with women, you know, they could probably have the Epstein-Barr virus. And then the doctor will say to them, you know, maybe a month or two after, oh, it looks like you do have chronic fatigue from this particular virus. And through these multiple blood tests, I did realize or did come up where a doctor said, you know, you did have the Epstein-Barr virus, but that was, you know, you've got it in your body, but it's not showing up as, you know, something that's really present. So the chances are, is this is what you will have. Um, And then, you know, another respiratory specialist talked to me about this post-viral syndrome, which can also be classified as chronic fatigue, because when your body goes through something or suffers from a big virus, when it cannot clear it properly, it can have this lingering effect. And this lingering effect can mean, you know, mental fatigue, like joint pains, chronic fatigue, you know, lethargy, um, gut problems, and a whole different amount of things. Um, But it's funny because laying in that hospital bed was the first time that I was actually able to stop and just be present with my body. And I always think how bad the hospital food is for making me have some aha moments because the hospital food is unbelievably atrocious and I cannot believe they feed sick patients that hospital food. But I was noticing laying there that um, it was probably in the last week that every time I ate or my hospital food would come around, afterwards I would go into these coma-type states and that's when I would have trouble breathing. That's when my heart palpitations would go off the Richter scale, the monitors would go bing, bing, bing. And so that started to embark the journey. You know, I've got this chronic fatigue diagnosis, but maybe there's something more. Maybe it's something to do with my gut. And then that started the journey of me inquiring down a whole different path, which is a massive factor that contributes to it. That, if I'm understanding what the food might have been, which would have been probably filled with just simple carbs, glucose, sending your blood sugar levels Mm. through the roof, you would have had hard crashes after it and highs and crashes. And with having chronic fatigue syndrome, that would have just set it on a huge spiral. Yeah. I mean, look, I think, I think, I think hospitals, they've saved so many lives. Absolutely love emergency doctors and nurses that are around there. But that environment is not to be in for a long period of time. That environment Mm. is not healing. And I could go into Mm. so many aspects of the light is not healing. The air is not healing. The food Mm. is not healing. The fear, Mm. the the people around you creating fear, other people being fearful of dying, this, that. The whole, so many aspects on it, they're not healthy. So every time someone's in hospitals or something along those lines, I just say, stay there as little as possible to get healthy and then go home and heal yourself um, or yeah. have someone there and have the support with you to be at home, to be in a dark room, to be to be um, in a dark room when you need to be, to be outside when you need to be, to have fresh air, have an air filter in, get the right food. There's so much stuff in it. Um, so, yeah, being a long-term in hospital is definitely not um, healing. That's a really good point because, yes, I'm a huge believer that there is a place for modern medicine and natural medicine and only if everyone got over their egos we could work together to heal a lot of people but there would be no money in that, right? (laughs) 
Mm, <laughs> um, mm, but mm. modern medicine, you know, when things go belly up for me or any of my family, I want doctors. I want specialists and surgeons. And, mm, that's, mm. you know, it's really great that you mentioned that because they definitely have a place. But, yeah, we need that to bridge that gap between, okay, this is how much the hospital system and doctors have been able to help. Now who else can work? What do you need to move on to for root level cause healing? Yeah, 100% create the society around you. And um, like I say, if anyone's ever listening and ends up in a hospital, if it's nighttime, turn that light off. That light is destroying your healing process. It's fluorescence lights. It's so dangerous. Um, but moving away from that now, let's go back to chronic fatigue syndrome. Yes. So we spoke about sun signs and symptoms, being being fatigued, right? You said one of them clearly. Um, uh, and you said gut health and stuff like that. Is there any early signs and symptoms that someone might be like, oh, maybe maybe it is chronic fatigue? And then, yeah. and then if you can go into and tell me about a few root causes, I think you mentioned a few already talking about viruses, a few root causes that most people aren't aware of. Yeah, definitely. Um, so with chronic fatigue, as I mentioned before, it's very different for different people and different people have different severity of symptoms and different um, different types of symptoms. I think for me, you know, I was lucky. I think I had multiple level one. So things like reoccurring headaches, joint pain, muscle aches and pains. Um, even I would say like a really early symptom is when you wake up in the morning, you feel really unrefreshed, even after a good seven, eight, nine hours of sleep. Um, another symptom is, you know, having trouble falling asleep at night. So if your kind of body clock or adrenals are playing up or whatever it may be, you might feel like you get this boost of energy at like 9 p.m. when that's really your body should be winding down. And then during the day, you might find that you need naps. <laughs> um, so that's another really early symptom. Gut problems, so things like, you know, irritable bowels, switching from constipation, diarrhea, maybe pain in your in your um, in your digestion processes or not digesting your food, uh, even anxiety and depression I would throw in there. And the reason why I say that is I remember, um, you know, when you're nervous, a nervous system, uh, you know, it's your sympathetic, and I know you wanted to get into this, but I'll quickly run through it now, but your sympathetic nervous system um, is you know, your fight or flight response. So we have a sympathetic nervous system and a parasympathetic nervous system. Sympathetic is fight or flight. Parasympathetic is rest, digest, repair. And if you're in that constant fight or flight mode, which I know a lot of women are because we have this rushing woman syndrome, as Dr. Libby um, likes to, you know, phrase it that, we can feel wired, tired, amped up all at the same time. And I think if you just got that feeling, that being feeling of being wired, tired, amped up consistently, that's also an early sign or something to watch out for because eventually that's going to come crashing down. And that can lead to things like anxiety, et cetera. And if you do have um, anxious episodes or panic attacks popping up every now and then, it's an indicator or just a sign that your body might be on this collision course <laughs> um, to, you know, end up being completely burnt out. Uh, now, depression, why I say depression is because mental fatigue is a massive one with chronic fatigue. And I remember when I first started going to the doctor saying something is not right, like I am feeling massively fatigued, my mind is not working, my memory is gone. Um, I just have no, you know, nothing, I can't remember things. I have no mental clarity whatsoever, that constant state of brain fog. 
they were wanting to put me on depression medication mm. and they kept on saying that. So I think there's also a part where there's a lot of misdiagnosis out there because if you are chronically fatigued, you do not have the mental capacity to be happy, to be joyful, to enjoy the process of life. You are struggling through life. You are drained. You have brain fog. You might lose that spark, that energy that drives those uh, healthy mindsets. So I think there is definitely a link that people should look at between that and those are some precursors to it. Um, and then hormonal problems as well because, uh, you know, at the root level, um, you know, I'll touch a little bit on this because when we're young and we have, you know, as I mentioned, um, when I first used to get my menstrual cycle, I used to pass out. It used to be so much pain. Went to the doctors. The doctors put me on a pill straight away. And that masks all the wonderful symptoms that we have or problems going on at that root level. And what it also does in the process is deplete us of all those amazing micronutrients that we actually need. So that can be an actual precursor to ending up so depleted from vitamins B12 and B6 and D and C and all these amazing vitamins um, that can lead to things such as chronic fatigue. So looking at your hormone, if there's any hormonal imbalances, any gut problems, um, depression, anxiety, um, if you just even have that feeling of not being able to slow down, being wired, tired, amped up all at the same time, not waking up refreshed after a long sleep, you know, joint pain, even if you get reoccurring infections. So things like you're constantly catching colds and flus and basically just my life story. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you're constantly catching colds and flus and, and being more susceptible to things, your body's inflamed, it's battered, it's worn down, it's tired, it's not resilient. Those mm. can be really good early signs. Yeah. I love that you mentioned mental health and it makes total sense that when you are chronically fatigued, for you to even do that little smile, that takes muscles, that takes energy. Um, and in your head, when you're not smiling at all, when you're frowning and not wanting to go ahead with life, um, it, it is a huge issue. It is definitely a huge issue. So I'm glad that you mentioned that with mental health because a lot of individuals go, what is wrong with me? Um, mm. What's wrong with me? There's nothing wrong with you. We need to look inside and see what's actually happening inside of your body. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, your gut's your second brain, and I know you would resonate so much with this. So looking at your gut-brain connection and what's happening with your digestive system can have a massive impact too on your energy and on your mental health as well. 100%. Can you give us any um, foods or supplements or herbs which are key for chronic fatigue syndrome? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so food is medicine. And I always say that and I, uh, you know, it can either harm or it can heal. And uh, I think adopting a healthy way of eating can be many different things. And the beauty is that, you know, we are all very different, different cultural backgrounds, different sexes, different upbringings, different lifestyles. So our bodies are very different. So we have to find individually the foods that make us thrive and heal. So my diet when I first had, I mean, before chronic fatigue consisted of sugar, sugar, caffeine, energy drinks, alcohol, and bread. <laughs> Oh, and vegetables and stuff thrown in there, of course. A little <laughs> bit, a, a little bit of them. Standard diet. <laughs> and then post-chronic fatigue, I mean, 
or along my way of healing, a massive game changer for me. And what is still something that I do as part of the healing process, it doesn't have to be a forever thing. I want to make that clear because some people freak out, but part of the healing process is eliminating wheat. So eliminating gluten, which is a protein found in wheat. Uh, this has a massive impact on your gut. It destroys the gut lining. It creates things like leaky gut um, and then, you know, antibodies and particles can seep through into your blood um, into your blood system and create that inflammation response. But I found, you know, even personally for myself, and I see it a lot with my clients, just by eliminating it for a period of time, it affects people in many, many different ways. And for some people, just doing that can alleviate the fatigue. Honestly, for some people can alleviate the physical fatigue, but also the mental fatigue. So for me now, if I eat I haven't in a very long time, not because I can't, but because I, I just don't like the way it makes me feel. But if I have something with wheat in it, I want to nap for two hours afterwards. <laughs> I get a cloud that comes over my head and I just think, ah, oh, it's not worth it. You know, I, I want that energy all the time. So I think that is a massive one. Um, you know, be your own detective, listen to your body, eliminate that for a period of time, then reintroduce it. See how you feel, note down physical, mental, emotional symptoms. You might be more angrier or weepier or whatever it may be, and then go from there. There's also some cross-reacting food that acts as gluten in, in the body. So things like corn and soy, um, any processed foods or seed oils, I would say eliminate. Uh, these are the wrong types of fats and these are um, you know, very detrimental to your health. And then we have sugar. <laughs> so I used to live off sugar and I know how hard it is, but most people think that, you know, and I hear this all the time. Lots of women come to me and they say, Desiree, I have a really great diet. I'm saying, yes, let's, let's see. <laughs> and then we start to pick through and they may have an orange juice in the morning. They may have a sandwich at lunch. They may have, you know, um, four pieces of fruit in the day. They may have, you know, a soft drink at night or whatever it may be, um, but they necessarily don't eat takeaway or they could perhaps have the muesli bars that are in your grocery stores or maybe a lolly here or there or some sauces that you buy conventionally from Woolies or Coles and, and that's their meal. But in that is all the hidden sugar and that's where the danger lies as well. Because when our blood sugar is going high, you know, sugar is great. It's, I mean, it's wonderful. It gives us that instant energy, but what goes up must come down. And when you come crashing down, that's when the fatigue sets in. That's when you are searching and craving for more sugar or caffeine or whatever it is to give you that next pick me up. And then your blood sugar is just going nuts like a roller coaster mm. up and down, up and down, up and down, which can lead to you know chronic inflammation and a whole bunch of different problems, including chronic fatigue. So sugar or reducing it drastically, um, wheat is definitely a big one. So gluten, I say wheat because uh, gluten is a protein found in wheat. Um, looking at seed oils as well, uh, any processed foods, um, dairy also can be quite disruptive on the gut and for women's hormones. I know some people can tolerate it, some can't. So again, be a detective, see how you go. For me, I can have my goat's cheese now maybe once or twice a month, anything more, and it causes shifts in my, in my cycle, um, which is really interesting. So you've got to find kind of what works for you in that balance. Uh, 
And I know that there are many different ways of eating. So, uh, you know, vegans thrive, vegetarians thrive. Um, for me, I'm a big believer in an animal-based diet. So eating good quality um, meats and organ meats. Uh, oh, don't be freaked out. <laughs> but things like a little bit of liver or oxtail here and there. I mean, liver is the most nutrient-dense food on the planet. So, um, but getting good quality sustainable sources. So sources from farms and where it's grass-fed. So you're not getting any of the additional antibiotics and hormonal crap that they put in your conventional meat. So make sure it's sourced from good sources, um, from your farmer's markets, preferably organic. And then, of course, eating an abundance of vegetables. That's something that can be extremely healing. Uh, and I think that the diets can change and ebb and flow. So when you are unwell, and I'll, I'll just use myself as an example because it's you know, an easy example, but I remember you know, an elimination diet when I first was sick was a game changer for me. So eliminating things like wheat, dairy, corn, soy, and drastically reducing the sugars. And then I found after that, that as I healed, I got to a place where I could experiment with a bit of dairy. You know, if I had some sugar in sources, when I went out to eat, it wasn't a game changer. It wasn't going to kill me. You know, I was fine. My body could handle it because I did a lot of work on my gut healing as well. I mean, that's another topic <laughs> to go into. <laughs> And, um, you know, and then at one stage I wanted to maximize my performance with my workout. So I ate a bit more of a carnivore based diet. And so I think it's important to just be, not be dogmatic about diets. And I think in this world too, we can be really dogmatic and it's like, you know, veganism is the only way or carnivore is the only way, but we have to ebb and flow and give our body what it needs at different stages of time. And I think especially as women, our menstrual cycle too, we can eat to support it in different ways. So you can fast at certain times. So say, for example, you know, uh, in the first um, maybe week or, or 10 days of your cycle, fasting is a little bit easier. Um, your body it can might be a little bit easier to eat more of a low carb based diet. But when you hit that ovulation stage or leading up to your menstruation cycle, sorry, you do crave more carbohydrates. And then it's giving yourself these good complex carbs like a sweet potato or, you know, more squash or whatever it may mean to support your body. So, I really think it just comes down to listening to your body, being your own detective, um, eliminating some, I think, in inflammatory-based foods or problematic foods, seeing how you respond, and then introduce them back in, see what works for you, see if you can find some balance so it becomes a sustainable way of eating mm -hmm. because elimination permanently for some people may not be sustainable. Yeah. A hundred percent. I like, I love the whole concept of what you said, understand how it's making you feel in your body, but also even flow that just because you're doing this now doesn't mean you're going to be doing that forever. I love that you put that concept in there. And just because it's good for someone doesn't mean it's good for everyone. You have to understand how am I feeling right now? What's making me feel better? But if we're running around rushing, 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 we don't have the time to actually how am I feeling? What is happening? Absolutely. You know, and this is where yeah. it goes back to that also. But I love that you gave us an insight of corn, soy, gluten, dairy, so many other different things that you gave us an insight of how it may affect us and how, you know, elimination diet may assist the first stages of healing. Absolutely love that. 
But, but, you know, before we end the podcast, I also wanted to ask you a few questions about autoimmune because not only did you have chronic fatigue syndrome, you also had autoimmune disease. Was there Mm. a link or did one cause the other or were you genetically disposition already anyway? Mm. Was it the food? What's been, what happened there? Yeah, I love talking about this too because there is, you know, it, I, my body was genetically predisposed. So I actually went and did some testing and I've got something called the MTHFR gene mutation. I've got a double strand, meaning when this switches on, I cannot absorb nutrients properly and it switches on with various uh, um, various stages and stress is a massive one. And from young, I mean, asthma is an autoimmune disease. And from young, I suffered with chronic asthma. I had eczema, which is also autoimmune. <laughs> I then at some stage when I was partying and doing it all of drugs and alcohol, I got vasculitis, which is also autoimmune. But I did not know this. I did not know that asthma or vasculitis or any of these things were autoimmune diseases. So I just thought it was something that I got sick with take a drug, I'm fine, carry on, right? I didn't know that I was literally primed in prime position (laughs) to be more receptive to developing these type of chronic conditions. Mm. And what was really interesting was despite all the work I had done on myself, so four years ago, so I, uh, what was it, 2011 I got sick and it would be almost five years ago I had my son Phoenix and I was thriving before then. And despite all the work I had done on, on myself, being a new mum, it meant no sleep for about two years um, because I was breastfeeding for two years as well. So that's quite taxing on the body. I had no sleep. It was a huge emotional adjustment um, and it was a lot of uh, stress amplified with my relationship, etc. So what was really interesting was that when I call old Desiree crept in default mode Desiree, because when my hockey coach came and asked me, you know, Desiree, come back to playing Premier League, come back to playing Premier League hockey, I thought, which is a top division, I thought, oh, yeah, why not? I thought, you know, <laughs> mine, you know, madness, hindsight, madness. I was crazy to even think that. But I went back. And within two months, I had slipped into that toxic chatter. Mind you, I hadn't played hockey in about 10 years, but I had um, slipped into this toxic chatter of you're not good enough. I was analyzing games. I was always in my head. I could enjoy, I could not enjoy that present moment of being with my two-year-old because I was more focused on my success of coming back and being this great hockey player and my games and analyzing my games after and comparing myself. And what was really, really interesting was that, My food did not change. My food, my supplement regime, that did not change at all. But what massively changed was my mindset. And I went back into toxic mindset, self-sabotaging thoughts, this heightened stress and anxiety where my nervous system was just activated 24-7 in that fight or flight mode simply by my thoughts, which your body can perceive that it's under attack by your thoughts and your nervous system goes into that fight or flight response. And then on top of that, I wasn't sleeping well. And then on top of that, I had this new two-year-old baby that I was adjusting to. So at a soul level as well, there was a bit of work that I had to do with finding myself again. So I'd been a bit disconnected from that. And so it was no surprise that after, you know, just three months, I think it took of me slipping back into this, you know, mindset mode with lack of sleep and lack of a supportive lifestyle, 
within three months, I just caught a common cold and I could not shake it. And it turned into a full-blown autoimmune attack called optic neuromyelitis. And it left me blind in both eyes for a period. (laughs) I love your face because we actually didn't talk about this. (laughs) It left me blind in both eyes for almost three months. Um, I, I couldn't see anything because the nerves in my eyes were so swollen and I mean, the beauty in all this, this, I smile about it now and laugh about it. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. At the time, there was immense fear of not being able to see Phoenix's face. I didn't know what this meant for me. There was a lot of of crying, (laughs) a lot of thinking what this outcome would be for me. And, you know, also a lot of my ego took a bashing because I'm like a health coach. I can't, you know, what's going to happen? How could I have done this to myself again? But there is always a silver lining to be found. And again, this was a gift from the universe because I truly think that my sight was taken away from me because I had lost sight of what was important. I had lost sight of what filled my soul. And um, I then went you know, through the process of doing MRIs and all these different things and I had this amazing neurosurgeon, you know, she was so beautiful and she was like, Desiree, you need to go on, on this permanent medication. And she called, had to have about 10 chats with me because I kept saying no, because <laughs> at that stage, I knew my body, I had this, I just had this, um, uh, you know, faith or I call it blind faith. I mean, that's funny, funny pun, but <laughs> I call it blind faith. But I think because I had been in a similar situation before and I had no, I knew what the power of the body could do given the right environment. So I just wanted to give myself that chance to have the right environment again and, and heal properly again and give my body what it needs to see where I end up. And I did that. So I, I got support and help finally with, with my son Phoenix. And I had the time and opportunity to do nothing again, to not be this, you know, superhuman mom, to not be this hockey player, to not be running my business and managing my business and running a household. I could just be nothing and just be and allow my body to sleep, allow my mindset to just, you know, relax from all those commitments and pressure that I had placed on myself that were inducing that constant stress response. I stripped back my diet even more. So this is what I was talking about, that I had reached a place where I was maintaining a healthy diet, a really healthy diet. So I still didn't have sugar or anything like that, but I stripped it back even more where I would eat just purely anti-inflammatory foods to help reduce that inflammation. I tweaked my supplementation. I did things like coffee enemas, um, which we can you know talk a little bit about <laughs> if you want. So I embarked on a whole new level of healing And slowly but surely, my eyesight started to come back. And touch wood, it's been about three years now, but I have been thriving again. And, you know, not to say that this won't happen later on in the future because you don't know what curveballs life is going to throw at you or you don't know how disconnected you might become from yourself or your path. And I I think, you know, very much that these things the way that I see these things in life now is that it is a bit of a gift. Um, even at the time, if there is suffering and challenge, sometimes there is a gift in that suffering and challenge and it's the universe or God or Allah, whatever you like to believe. And even if you don't believe in anything, it's their way of saying, Hey, stop, check in with yourself. Where are you right now? 
Are you aligned with your true self, with your purpose, with your passions? Are you looking after yourself? You know, maybe you need to take a new direction in your life. Maybe you need to completely overhaul your life and make a, a complete change. I don't know. You don't, might not have all the answers at that present moment in time, and it can be really dark when you're going through that suffering. But in hindsight, there always is a lesson to be learned. There always is a new level or depth of, you know, um, compassion and empathy and understanding. Um, As I said, my ego took a bit of a hit because I thought I knew it all. And I was very humbled into a way where it gave me a whole new level of empathy and compassion and understanding for fellow human beings. And that, you know, we aren't all invincible and life does throw these curveballs. But, you know, if you give your body the right environment, it can heal from anything. And so that's a very long story, but in a roundabout way to answer your question, I am predisposed, yes, to autoimmune conditions and, you know, God knows what other illnesses. I have a narrow line to tread on and I've found that comfort state. But if I veer too far left or too far right, not only physically with what I'm doing with my body, but what I'm thinking, what I'm perceiving, and even if I disconnect from my from my soul or my true purpose or that intuition that we all have, these things, autoimmune condition could hit me again, like a semi-trailer. I don't know. So, yes, that was wow. my journey. And Woman, <laughs> I thought, you know, all that stuff is enough. And then, bam, she hits me with being blind for three months. My gosh. I always, not that I always think about what it would be like to be blind, but, um, well, I do sometimes because I just find it fascinating because it is a sense that we have every day or most of us have and we wake up we open up our eyes we see things we hear things we smell things we touch things Mm -hmm. and I guess for you something like that being taken away just like that and then given back to you in such a quick Mm -hmm. time Mm -hmm. wow what a learning lesson I mean and if you didn't have faith that you definitely do after that it's definitely um and what I loved about the whole thing is, is you had faith in your body. You had faith in your body that it, it's it's doing what it's supposed to be doing. And, and and I love the individuals that have faith and go, you know what? There's nothing wrong with my body. Um, I have allowed it to be in this position and it is just reacting for where I have placed it. If I place mm. it somewhere else, my body is also going to react, but it's going to give me a positive reaction. That's exactly what happened to you. So I love that. And I love that you came out of that. Um, wow. Absolute gobsmack <laughs> there, right there. But I'm glad that you're all good now and that you're helping other individuals. So before we wrap up, do you have any practical tips for the audience to avoid reaching chronic fatigue syndrome, to avoid being there, to avoid where- And do what I did. Yeah. <laughs> to avoid it or if they're in it. So just three little practical tips if you can um, provide us with them. Yeah, absolutely. So number one is listen to your body because my body was so, was screaming. Looking back now, it wasn't just trying to communicate to me what I call subtle symptoms, but it became screaming symptoms. It was giving me headaches and migraines and lack of sleep and joint pains and gut problems and hormonal pains and, you know, all these different things. So listen to your body. Our body is trying to communicate with us 24-7. So now, even if I have a little bit of pain during my menstrual cycle or if I have a headache, I want to know why. 
What is my body trying to communicate to me? It's enough for me to stop and check in. What's my diet like? How's my sleep? Am I drinking enough water? What's my mindset like? Am I looking after and doing things that I'm passionate about to fill my soul? So really, number one is listen to your body and give yourself that space and time to do so. Uh, so that is my number one tip. My number two tip, and I know this is really controversial, <laughs> maybe not, but, you know, especially since your audience are busy women who are in the corporate sector and, you know, racing through that that life, um, or running at 100 miles an hour, is to rest and relax. <laughs> what? And as I said, what? You know, rest and relax, downtime. What is that? Um, you know, as I said, I used to say, say that I will sleep when I'm dead. But having those times to be able to rest and relax and just that empty space where I don't mean rest and relax where you're lying on the bed but looking through social media or Instagram or trolling through your phone, rest and relax, not even when you're watching a TV program, but rest and relax where you're doing something that's quite mindful. So you're perhaps reading a book that brings you into the present moment. Perhaps you are taking a walk and focusing on your breath and your footsteps. Perhaps you're just sitting in the sun and allowing your body and your mind to process what's happened for that day. But resting and relaxing is just, it sounds so easy, but it's totally underrated. <laughs> and with fatigue, it's like looking at it as like your energy tank, right? So if we're constantly, if your body is a tank and it needs to be full to have maximum energy and we're constantly depleting it and giving out our energy to our job, to our family, to our friends, um, or, you know, with, with over-exercising or whatever it may be, our energy tank tank is going to be empty or halfway or not filled up and maximized as much. So we need to be doing things like resting and relaxing to refill that energy, to recharge. And part of resting and relaxing, which I would really encourage people to do, which was an absolute game changer for me, especially coming from that high achiever corporate, you know, success, success world is meditation. Now, when I say meditation, I used to think that meditation was all hippie BS I was like, this is ridiculous. Um, but because I was so desperate, I found myself going to my first class and laughing my way through my classes. I couldn't believe I was there. But it was a game changer. And there are many, many forms of meditation. You do not need to go sit in the mountains in the Himalayas and sing Kumbaya for hours on end. But you might be able to pop an app in and just start with five minutes of breath work. You might be able to, uh, you know, walk, as I said, and be present just observing your footsteps or your breath is a form of meditation. Swimming can be a form of meditation. I mean, pools aren't open at the moment, but um, there's so many different forms. So practice start small, find what works for you. And the reason why I say meditation, I mean, there's so much science and studies about it now. It's not really an old school you know, method anymore. It's really in the forefront, especially in the corporate world, is that, yes, it can maximize your performance um, and allows more creativity to come through. It allows you to be a bit more on the ball, have a cleaner mind slate, um, look at things with fresh perspectives. So it can actually increase your performance in uh, the corporate world and increase your level of, you know, traditional success, but it gives your chance, your body a chance to just um, not attach yourself to thoughts. So I think there's a massive misconception where we think we have to eliminate all thoughts with meditation. That's not necessarily the case. We just have to get to a point where we realize that 
We are not our thoughts. We are not that toxic mindset chatter. We can become an observer. And this is so refreshing for your body and your mind because it allows you to shift your perspectives, look at things in a different way and tune in with your intuition, with that guide that we can become really disconnected to. So um, number, number one is, you know, Um, very much listen to your body. Number two is rest and relax. And number three, I think is with chronic fatigue is, you know, something that you touched on before, I think is success. And I really think if we really sit down and just take a couple of minutes to journal or whatever it may be, or even just do a checklist in your head, just to reevaluate your beliefs and to redefine what success really looks like for you. It can take some of the pressure off. It can really help you let go of things that don't serve you, that may be burning you out and sucking your energy out of you, whether it's relationships, whether it's work, whether whatever it may be. So redefine your definition of success to not how society defines it, but what's important to you. And you may find that instantly that can help bring you back to the present moment where you think, you know, I don't need to be doing all these things that are going to possibly burn me out. You know, I can give myself a bit of a break or I can reduce my workload or whatever it may mean. So those are my three tips. I love that. I love, and they're so practical and they can so easily be done. Um, Absolutely love them. Redefining success, resting. I know a lot of people are like, what the resting and (laughs) listening to our bodies. I mean that those three, it's just not going to help chronic fatigue. It's going to help overall health and helping achieve optimal health. That's absolutely amazing. I really appreciate your time on the natural health podcast and to finish off i ask all my guests as this is the natural health podcast desiree what is your best kept natural health hack that you may do every day uh once a week once a year what's that one little hack do you really want to know <laughs> Tell don't me. say Ooh, coffee animals. <laughs> I love it. I love it. My naturopath was telling me to do this for ages and I was so freaked out by it. (laughs) But when my eyes went and my autoimmune kicked in, I thought, why not? What the bloody hell I got to lose? You know, let's just give it a go. Yeah. And you do have to do it under the guidance of a practitioner and know what you are doing, but it's not as scary as it seems. And with coffee enemas, I have discovered that it's just this next level of healing. So I have always had trouble um, de- with my detoxification system, so with my liver working optimally, and I found that every time I did a bit of a detox, whether I take a supplement or whatever it may be, my body would have trouble clearing those toxins. So it would just circulate back through my body. It would get reabsorbed. I would feel worse. And a coffee enema is kind of like a, a, a hack, a biohack. Into It's a bit of a cheat. So if you, you get to detox your body in one hit, but also eliminate all those toxin and junks, junk from your colon at the same time. Um, and people have this misconception that with coffee enemas, you know, will it stop me from going to the toilet naturally, etc. but it actually tones your colon wall. So it regulates your movement even better. And I've found that my bowel function has improved and you have so much stored in there, which is really surprising despite how clean you eat. It's a really good way to get it all out. Um, 
It increases things like bile, which is really important for the functioning of your digestive system as well and to break down foods and fatty foods. Um, it increases your glutathione production by almost seven, I think it's 600 to 700%. And glutathione is your ma master antioxidant. So um, that is crucial uh, in terms of good health and well-being. And it's something that I was severely deficient in when I got when I got tested. And I'm sure a lot of people out there are. It's not something that's actually spoken about a lot. So it, it's the best way to get, you know, a big booster of that master antioxidant. It can also help with things like eliminate parasites and fungi and stuff like that in one go, and it reduces inflammation. So I find that when I do a coffee enema, um, I am instantly buzzing, meaning not off the coffee because I actually am, this is the really interesting part. I'm not actually, I'm quite sensitive to coffee. So I can have a quarter of a teaspoon of caffeine and that will be fine for me anymore. And I'm jumping off the walls. So I don't have much caffeine at all. And with the coffee and I was thinking, oh God, what's going to happen? But it's because it's done through a different process. I get a nice clarity of mind and a nice type of energy without it being, you know, without me being high and flying like a kite. <laughs> so I find after it, my bowels are better. I have more mental clarity. If I have any, say, for example, if I have like a feel like a headache coming on, I'll go and do one and instantly that will go. Um, if I find for whatever reason, I mean, my menstrual cycle are pretty effortless now. I don't even know that they're coming, but If I find for whatever reason, maybe I've had a little bit more stress that month and I notice things are playing up or maybe I've gone out and eaten or whatever it is and I notice that I might have a little bit more acne or perhaps I feel a little bit more PMS-y leading up to my period, I do a coffee enema and that's all alleviated straight away. So I use it now as a tool to help assist my body with wherever it's at. And even if I've got a cold or flu, I mean, I haven't in a very long time, but I remember when I started, I said, oh, let me just try this. You know, I, my whole family came down with a bit of a cold and I thought, let me just try this. And I did one. And within 24 hours, I was fine. <laughs> so it's it's my healing secret or hack that I use I love that. Uh, as that needed is... just for that radical healing. That is absolutely brilliant. And there's so much information out there on coffee enemas. And like you said, make sure you talk to your healthcare professional before you do anything like that. But Ray, I absolutely love having you on the Natural Health Podcast. And I think we need to get you back on here again to talk further about other topics because you're filled with so much knowledge and information. I absolutely love your passion. And I love that you were comfortable enough and raw enough to share your story with myself and the audience today. Really, really, really do appreciate it. I'm going to put all the information of you to how people can get in touch with you on the show notes below to get in touch with you at uh, free yourself holistic health and also to get in touch with you on instagram and so forth is there anything that you want to let the audience know before we say goodbye um i think that we've covered a lot <laughs> at the moment yeah you've shared so, so much you know valuable think, information yeah and i think just whatever struggles you're going through at the moment whether it be mental emotional or you're just feeling overwhelmed just know that You trust the process of life, trust your body, trust yourself, um, know that you've got this, you know, no matter where you are, what you're doing, if you think that you're not knowledgeable enough or good enough or you've, you're suffering at the moment, um, know that your body can heal. Um, trust that the universe has your back and will give you the opportunity to do so and just trust that things will work out um, despite how dark things get. 
there will always be light at the end of the tunnel. And 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 if you actually trust yourself and your intuition to be that guide, you often come out of these things better and more resilient, no matter what the circumstance. What a beautiful way to end the podcast. I love those words. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us at the Natural Health Podcast. And remember, the missing link between failure and success is your health. Content and information provided here is opinion of Mahela Raguse and is for information purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. It is not intended to provide medical advice or take the place of medical advice or any current treatment you're undertaking. Consult your own medical professionals for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the Natural Health Podcast. It is advised that you consult your doctor or healthcare professional in relation to any health concerns you may be having. Mahela Raguse does not take responsibility for any health consequences which occur from a person listening, viewing, or reading this content. And in a Circumstances shall the Natural Podcast, Mahela Raguse, any guests or contributors to the Natural Podcast, or any employees, associates, or affiliates of Mahela Raguse be responsible for damages arising from the information provided on the Natural Podcast. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical conditions in either yourself or others. Please note if you're taking prescription, do not stop your medication or start a new protocol, including but not limited to supplements diet lifestyle changes without consulting a doctor or healthcare professional. If you or any person has a medical concern, you should consult with your healthcare provider or seek other professional medical advice. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something that you have read or heard on the natural podcast or in any link materials. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call your doctor or emergency services immediately. Neither Mahela Raguse nor the publisher of this contact takes responsibility for the possible health consequences of any person or persons reading or listening or following the information in educational content.